Okay, we are in the middle of a series on the book of First Thessalonians. And uh, we've been calling it The Hope Factor. The reason being is because this book is particularly concerned with a fancy word called eschatology, which is the study of uh, the end times, but, but not so much a study of what's going to happen as the point of always looking towards it. And this church is, uh, has been doing a great job, apparently according to Paul, of fixing their eyes on a future hope. And what that's been doing is it's actually been translating into real life for them as a church. And Paul has a whole bunch of great things to say about this church going, your belief in the future of, of Jesus coming and of uh, a final restoration, your belief that that's happening is affecting the way that you live and it's affecting the decisions that you make here today. And so, like you see behind you, I think, yeah, the, what the, the sort of, I don't know, pithy little phrase that we have for this series is that what you hope for is what you live for. And this stands to reason. Uh, if, let's say, you were hoping for financial success or something like that, that would dramatically shape tomorrow morning for you. You would be living for that in some way. It would be, I don't know, it would be on the top of your mind and it would affect your decisions or where you went to school or what job you took or didn't take. And... This is a kind of intuitive. What you hope for is what you live for. And the same is true for our walk with God. The same is true for the Christian life, is what you hope for is what you live for. I don't know how much you think about hope. I don't know how much you, I don't know how much you think about what we're actually hoping for practically. But the aim of this series is to kind of give some concrete, uh, kind of sink our teeth into what is it that we're hoping for and what does that accomplish in us? Something I've been thinking about over the last few weeks as we've been getting into this is that hope actually, not maybe everybody is excited about that idea. And there's a couple of things that have been coming to mind for me when I've been thinking about hope that are maybe a little more on the negative side, and maybe you can resonate with me in this, is that sometimes I felt as though when people talk about hope, it's this very impractical, uh, ethereal, fairy tale hoping, wishing thing. Where like, hey, you should have hope, and what they mean by that is you should think the best about the future. You should, you should cross your fingers, you know, and like do one of these and one of these, and you should hope in some sort of abstract sense of believing the best about the future. And I don't know, that it's wishful thinking maybe is another way of saying it. And that honestly feels really impractical, mostly because if I don't actually believe that, is it really going to dictate the way that I live? Like if I'm crossing my fingers behind my back, is that enough to spend Monday in a new way than I would have otherwise? I don't know, we kind of know it's a wishful thinking hope. It's not very solid. So that's one way in which hope seems to be misunderstood. Another one, it's probably a little worse, is that hope can actually even be something that's a little dangerous to give people. I don't know if you've thought this, but you start giving people hope and then they get let down. And you go, wait, is hope mean? It's like, oh, it would have been better just to not hope. It would have been better just to have no hope. And because I, the way that I've imagined the future and the fairy tale that I've painted in my mind didn't come true. And you know what? Maybe it was better to have not have hoped at all. And so there's a mixed, we, you know, we say the word hope and it's, I don't know that it immediately conjures uh, feelings of hope. It might conjure mixed feelings for you. So what we want to talk about today is why is hope actually a practical helpful reality to live into every day. What isn't it? What is it? And how does it shape every day? How isn't it wishful thinking? And why isn't it mean to paint these pictures? That's what we're going to be looking at. So the title of today's message is The Purpose of Hope. 
What, what purpose does it serve for you and I today and tomorrow morning? So we're going to read a bit of a bigger chunk of, pa- uh, chunk of Thessalonians today, so stay with me. But uh, we're going to need the whole thing. Uh, chapter 2, verse 17, you can put that up there. But the brothers and sisters, when they were orphaned by being separated from... Oh, sorry, I meant to give you some context before we start. Just so you know, if you weren't here two weeks ago when I set up the book, what's happening is that Paul is writing to a church in Thessalonica, and it's a church that he planted and then had to flee from three weeks later. So it was a three-week-old church by the time it got abandoned by its founding pastor. And then that... and it, 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 it They had to leave because there was a riot, and he really left this church in the middle of some chaotic, turbulent times, and he's been worried about them ever since as he moved on in his missionary journey. This is Paul. And so what he did is he sent one of his disciples back named Timothy to check on them because he was worried about this little church. Uh, You know, I can imagine being worried about that. How could a three-week-old church possibly survive as I left them in the middle of a riot? So, I mean, it makes sense why he sent Timothy back going, can you check on those guys? So that's the context. But, brothers and sisters... When we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Wow, that's high praise. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought us good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. One final prayer here from Paul for them. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Lord, thank you for this beautiful uh, piece of scripture, this beautiful window into Paul's heart for this little church. And God, I pray um, that you would speak to us uh, as your church, as a continuation of the same thing that you started. And I pray that you would minister to us afresh. Um, through Paul's words, through your word, here this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so first thing we have to establish here is what is Paul so happy about? Have you noticed how stoked he is in this passage? He's, this is very high praise he's giving this church. I would say uncomfortably high praise. It's a little, it makes me a little uncomfortable. Let's read, put up, uh, put up this verse. Um, yeah, this one in particular. For what is our hope 
our joy or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. That is awkwardly high praise. It almost sounds heretical. <laughs> it almost sounds like, can you, are you allowed to say that? Like, are you allowed to glory in other people? Are, you, are people allowed to be your crown and are people allowed to give you hope? My goodness, that's pretty strong language. So just so we get clarity on this, I just want to put a little paragraph up there from a commentary I was reading this week because I think it helps us understand what Paul is and isn't doing. You could put that up. Here Paul gives us a glimpse into why people were his hope, joy, and crown. Paul understood life today in the light of eternity to come. He built the present upon the certainty of the future. Everything pointed toward that day when he would stand in the presence of Christ. He knew that people were the treasure and glory for which God worked and suffered. Paul's vision of life centered upon people because he knew that of all that all of God's revelation was intended to redeem people. Okay, that's really important. Uh, he's not putting pressure on this little church to be amazing. That's not the point of him saying all this. What he is saying is that people are what matter. Actual people are what God cares about, and so does Paul. It's almost as though people are the canvas uh, that God paints things on. People are the battlefield on which there's a war going. It's like hearts are, are all that's going on. And Paul's saying, hey, you are our hope and joy and crown because you are the embodiment and expression of this battle actually being won. So yeah, it's you. And we glory and hope in you because you're the only thing that matters. People are the only things that matter. So that's really beautiful. So before you think you're putting, Paul's just putting a bunch of pressure on this church, it's important to see, what did Timothy actually see that Paul was so excited about? This is important for us to know. If you planted a church, and then three weeks later you had to leave, and then you sent somebody back to check on it, what would you tell that person to make sure was true? What would you be like, hey, go make sure this. Go make sure they're doing this. Go see how this is going. I don't know, you can make a little list in your head. And I have a bit more of like an anxious list. I'd be like, make sure it's grown. Make sure there's more people coming to the gatherings. Make sure they're meeting budgets. Make sure they're doing outreach. Make sure they, I don't know, the coffee's good in the foyer. I don't know. That, for me, that'd be important. But I, I'm just, what did Timothy go back and say, hey, it's all good because this is true? Okay, let's read. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and coworker in God's service and spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen you and encourage you in your faith. For this reason, what I can stand it no longer, I sent, uh, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distresses and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. It's pretty conclusive here. What Timothy's coming and reporting back is, hey, these people have faith. Now, that, uh, that is a word that is very easily floats away in our minds as something that's Christians say, but it doesn't actually mean anything when we say it anymore. It's one of those words like love that's in danger of being ill-defined, and then we go, oh yeah, faith, and we have no idea what that means. Um, the quickest way to sum it up 
that gets us like 90% of the way there, I'd say, is faith is the word that we use when we talk about trusting in God. Okay? That's 90, I mean, it's way deeper than that, but you get most of the way there if you think about it as faith is the word that we reserve when we talk about trusting in God ultimately. Now, here is what's so important about the concepts of faith for us to know today is that faith is a who question. Meaning, faith is a relational idea. Faith isn't uh, a concept that you can go get more of by thinking harder. Faith is not a idea or a feeling even that you can conjure up in your heart by worshiping with your hands raised or something, like as if it's hype or generated internally by doing the right things. It isn't floating out there for you to grab like a, like a oh, there's the faith there. there okay, and I, now I have more of it. Faith is inherently, it's about trust, right? So what does trust take? That's actually talking about a relationship between two people. So when we say I have faith, what you're saying is I trust Jesus <laughs> or I trust God. I, I am making a declaration about a relationship that I have with God, okay? So it's a related term. So, if faith is a relational idea, then the only place to see it and find it is in people. You don't find it under a rock and you don't find it floating in the church building that you can come grab. If you were to look around the world and go, where is faith? You'd have to find it in individuals. You'd have to find it in people's relationship to Jesus. You'd have to find it through people's stories and what they'd say. It's like, oh, there's faith. There, hi, faith. <laughs> Literally. Um, I, you, you'd, you'd need to use people in order to discover it. I think I'm making my point. Um, so when Paul says, you're a hope, you're a joy, you're a crown, it's because you're displaying a relationship with Jesus. You're displaying it. You're living it out. I can see it in you. And that's the whole point. Um, had a D group this past week, and uh, we, you know, we, I had a plan of going into it, and then uh, Kenton had a question at the beginning, and it derailed the whole thing, but I'm glad you did. Um, he had a great question, and he said, why don't, we, why don't we just do what Jesus did anymore, where we talk, like Jesus talked in parables, and then he like told a story about a person, and then went, there you go, and everyone went, what? you know, like, so why don't we do that anymore? Why, why am I, I, I'm up here with an iPad with a very long thing with bullet points and highlighted stuff trying to explain to you what Paul said. I'm not telling you a story about a man in a field or something and then leaving you all to discover it. Not, we don't really do that. Maybe we should, I don't know. But what Jesus was trying to do is he was, he used stories about people because he was trying to get across something a lot deeper than just ideas. He was trying to convey the relationship that people would have with each other and with things. I know we say, I use this example a lot when I preach, but I, I think about it all the time because it's something that I'm annoyed that Jesus didn't do. And what I'm annoyed that he didn't do was write a bunch of things down. It would have taken like a day. Just go to the desert, write it down, photocopy it, circulate it. Your God, just write it down. Like, why did you make this so complicated? Uh, it would have been so handy. And instead, he just told stories about farmers and fields and 
kings throwing banquets and sons coming home and I don't know. So uh, this is what I said in D group the other day and I, this, isn't, this is just the idea I had in the moment. This is, not, this is Jonathan's brain just thinking. But I was like, maybe we don't talk in parables so much anymore because you're all the parables. You're all the stories about people. There once was a man who lived in East Vancouver who, there once was a UBC student who decided to, that's a really interesting idea, that God is using people to convey what's really going on. And what's really going on is whether people have faith or not. And that's gonna look like a story. It's gonna look like something on Monday that made a big difference because of the who question you've answered in your life of who do you trust most? It's not you. So I made that up at D group. I don't know if that's true or not, but I like the idea that we're all parables in a sense. For better or for worse, actually. Half, only half the parables were good. Half the parables were about like, there once was a man who had zero faith and this is what happened. So just, you know, be warned. So faith matters a lot to Paul. In fact, it's all that matters to him in a way. He spent, the book of Romans is pretty much trying to say one thing. I mean, if, you can't sum up Romans in one thing, but if you could, it would be faith. It's just so you know, faith is the only thing that counts. You're justified by faith, you're sanctified by faith, you get the Holy Spirit's presence by faith, you accept Jesus' sacrifice by faith, you, you have faith by faith. Like he's just, you're trusting someone more than you now. And praise God, that Jesus made a way for that to be possible, all those things too. But at the end of the day, he's going, not about anything else than faith. Paul's love for these Thessalonians is so strong that he's going, can you just go check to make sure that they're doing the only thing that matters? And Timothy comes back and goes, they have faith. He comes back and goes, they're still trusting Jesus. That probably looked like some cool stuff, maybe, but we don't even hear about it. We don't even know what their faith looked like. Maybe the church grew, maybe it didn't. It doesn't matter, apparently. They had faith. So cool. So much so, let's keep reading, verse 9. Paul goes on to say this. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what's lacking in your faith. Meaning, you're the best I've ever seen and wow, I'd love to come to you again to help you have even more of it. Isn't that so cool? Like you just, apparently you can't be done growing in a trust relationship with Jesus and he wants to come back so bad. Be like, oh, I'd love to help you have even more. I'd love to help you surrender even deeper. I'd love to have there be even more stories of your surrender and trust because there's no end to what happens when faith is the thing that we're doing. Pretty cool. So, since Paul is being prevented from coming, you know, he's like, ah, I can't make it to you guys yet. I would love to, to come build your faith even deeper. This is what he decides to do. He says this little prayer here at the end that we're going to go through in a second. And since he's being prevented to come, he prays this over them. And Watch, watch what he's about to pray because what he's essentially saying is going, faith is the only thing that matters and we've seen it already in you. Praise God. There's nothing else to get better at, really. And so here's my prayer. Here's the thing I'm gonna give you 
to make sure that that keeps happening. Listen, listen to the nature of this prayer. There's so much in it. We only we have to pick one thing, but verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. We could go off on verse 12 if we wanted, but we're going to focus on verse 13. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. That is a really interesting thing for Paul to do to make sure that faith continues to be the point of this church as he goes, remember what's coming. Don't forget what's coming. Don't forget that Jesus is coming with all his holy ones. So stand firm, stay strong, May the Holy Spirit strengthen your hearts. May he strengthen your faith, basically, so that you'll be blameless and holy in the presence of God when he comes. And when he gives them, this is where the hope factor comes in, is to build faith, to build faith in this church, Paul prays that they would be strengthened in the face of the coming of Jesus one day and in the redemption of the world. So we asked a question earlier. Well, actually, let me say this first. This is kind of what the, 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 the statement that I want to just focus on here for a second. Is the purpose of hope, that's the title of our sermon today, the purpose of hope is this. To cultivate a life that is increasingly dependent on faith. So what Paul is going, he's going, hey, here's that future hope. And if you're hoping for that, the natural byproduct is you're gonna need faith in your life more and more and more. I mean, it's kind of obvious. If that's the future, and if the way that I am part of that future is by trusting Jesus, according to Romans, the only thing going on, uh, then that future hope is gonna go, like I picture us looking at the future hope of the future and then our hands clenching tighter and tighter and tighter into Jesus' hand today. Being like, oh my goodness. And this hope of the future is like, wow, I need you. Like you can, you can almost feel your like hand squeezing me like, whoa. That's the way that I feel. So is hope impractical? That's the question we asked at the beginning. Is it, is it impractical? I would say no. If we know that's coming, then I know exactly what to do today. Like if, if we know that the end is Jesus coming with all his holy ones, if we know that the end is Jesus ending all the problems that we experience, if we know that what's coming is a solution to the problem of evil in the world, which is called Christ's rulership, if we know that that's the future, that is equally good news and terrifying news. It's like, whoa, that's a big deal. And so if that's the future, I mean, it's like it's a beautiful future in one sense, and it's a, it's a terrible future in another, in the most pure sense of the word terrible. It's, it's an awesome future. We don't use that word that way anymore, but it's like, wow. And so Paul is going, remember, remember Jesus is coming. Remember Jesus is coming. Put your faith in him. Now, this is a good reason to be holy. We finished a series in holiness at the beginning of the year. I hope it became clear in that series what holiness was. But I think we can still, I mean, we can still fall into this trap that the church wants you to be squeaky clean so that Tim has less work to do during the week of cleaning up the mess. It's like, no. Or we want everybody to follow the rules because we all get along better. 
Um, we don't like people that are messy or something, and so we're trying to sh buff each other up and shine each other up a little bit so that we seem good. <laughs> uh, holiness is something so much more deep than that. Holiness is going, okay, uh, this, is, this is my takeaway from the series that we have. So if you missed it, this is my takeaway. Was things that God calls unholy are the things that we choose to put our hope in that aren't him. Okay? What makes something uh, unsacred and not something we were designed for is the fact that it promises something that is different than what Jesus is promising us. So here's what, here's what I do is I, I don't actually like thinking about the future very much because it enlarges my world into this uncontainable, crazy, huge thing I don't know if you knew this today, but when, when you came to church, which you were actually coming to, was part of the, re it's, it's the redemption plan for the globe. <laughs> like the church was, the church was designed to be God's plan to, like, it's his instrument of, of advancing his message of redemption and reconciliation and it's a big thing. The church is a big deal. <laughs> It's not a small idea. And so but what I do is I go, that's a lot to think about. It's a little scary. And what I do is, I'm, is I, I don't, I don't want to hope for that because I'm, I'm just totally out of control. If I'm, if I'm hoping for world peace in the real sense, not the Miss America sense, like actual world peace. If I'm actually hoping for that every day, that would really shape tomorrow. Yeah. Like I knew that I had been enlisted by joining Jesus and following him and trusting him and having faith with him. With him. I, you know, all this, sometimes you realize, oh yeah, you're doing that, aren't you? Right, you are saving the world through, and I go, that's a lot, and that's gonna take a lot of faith every day. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna just gonna hope for a little bit less than what you're hoping for. I'm gonna hope for a little bit less, and I'm gonna hope for a little bit less. And I'm gonna hope to make it through tomorrow. And I'm gonna hope to get, C's get degrees. I'm just gonna get the degree or I'm gonna hope for this, and I'm gonna hope for that. And what that starts to do, and, and it starts to make our world smaller and smaller, and we don't need as much hope then, right? Which feels a little bit like, ah, so what? You have smaller hopes, big deal. Here's what sneaks out the back door though, is this little thing called faith. Because we were designed to have the same hope that Jesus had, that all would come to know and that the, 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 the effectiveness of the gospel has no barriers and that everybody gets access, Jew, Gentile, like the, read the whole New Testament, the whole thing is going, this is an everybody thing now and the church is the instrument of it and this is grand. And, so, and then Paul says, don't forget, Jesus is gonna win. And the church goes, oh, that's gonna mean, if you want, if that's your prayer for us, that means we're gonna have to live lives of faith. And so we can make our world smaller, and it doesn't feel all that bad, but we're not hoping for that. Because, you know, no one's really going, are you hoping for the big stuff? Like, I don't know how to even... But we make it smaller and smaller, and then we go, I don't need faith so much anymore. And I actually don't need to trust Jesus anymore. And so then we start doing unholy things, 
Because the answers to our smaller hopes aren't him. Does that make, if you're hoping for safety in this life, or if you're hoping for uh, yeah, security or even importance in this world and guaranteeing it, then I highly recommend all kinds of sinful shortcuts to that, like greed and anger and lust. And if joy is your biggest hope, I recommend leisure, which usually leads to slothfulness. And like, there's a reason why Paul is saying, be holy and blameless. It's not because Jesus wants you to be squeaky clean when he shows up. He wants to see people who have been choosing a life of faith the whole time. He, he's looking for people to go, oh, you had faith the whole time. You didn't have smaller hopes than me. You had kingdom hopes, and then you needed me the whole time. And guess what? We had a relationship the whole time because you needed me. Thanks for hoping for the things I hope for. By the way, I can accomplish all of them. I'm very confident of it, Jesus speaking. I was raised from the dead. I am really sure that I have got this covered. Thank you for hoping in me. That's really good for you because it means you're going to have to keep trusting me every day. It's going to become the most practical possible thing to you. Keep hoping for what I'm hoping for. I didn't raise the dead for anything less than life to the full for my creation. Hope for that with me. It's a big deal. Um, uh, yesterday... Last night, great Canucks game. Ooh, great Canucks game. Oh man, so happy. Um, and uh, I, I don't think I think I'm allowed to spoil the game from yesterday, right? You should have watched it. Um, so we won, and it was a glorious win of a like second half of the third period tie up overtime win. Beautiful. It's the reason why we suffer is for moments like that. And um, and. The, first, the, 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 the two goals at the end of the first period, I realized Steph, like Steph's filming me during the whole goals because she's like, you know, if we score, I want this on film. And she got it. She got it on film. And by the time the third, over, like the third goal in overtime, I look over and she's filming at the exact right moment again. I'm like, and then eventually I was like, stop doing that. Do you know what's happening in this game? And she's like, yeah, only spoiled for me last night. When she was talking to you on the phone, it was during the real game, because we watch it late at 9 p.m., we skip through the commercials. You spoiled it for her. <laughs> Don't worry. She was happy about it, because she got to film me the whole time, because she knew what was coming up next. She knew when the goals were, and she got it all on film. And so I <laughs> felt betrayed in all sorts of ways. But, you know, sports isn't so great when it's spoiled for you. I think life's great when it's spoiled for you. I think when you know the end and you know who's winning, it shapes every day in the most hope-filled way, even if it's costly and even if trust doesn't make any sense. And even the things that you wanted to hope in that made way more sense for your short-term hopes, you're going, no. Like, that's not, I know the end. And so Paul's going, remember the end, guys. Remember the end. Even though I can't be with you, I'm going to remind you about the end so that, your, so that your hope stays in the where it's supposed to be, so that your faith stays a necessary part of your life. And what a faith being a necessary part of your life means is that I, Jesus speaking, is a necessary part of your life, which is the whole point. So this last verse that we're going to read, um, actually second last, uh, 
You can put the Hebrews 11.1. One. This is a good Sunday school verse. Put the New Living Translation up there because I really like the way that it says it. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. Okay? Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. In other words, living a life of trust in Jesus ultimately displays now what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we can't see yet. It's the evidence. It shows it, like your life of faith shows it and is also the evidence of it. That's a crazy, like I think I didn't understand that verse till this week. Like that is a powerful idea. Hope and faith are linked inextricably. So here, follow the logic. This is my best attempt at, if anyone's taking the bar, I'm sorry. I don't think this is actually how logic works, but this is my best attempt at it. You can put these three statements up for me. Faith is the, so faith is the evidence of things we've hoped for. We just read that. Faith, remember 20 minutes ago, faith is only found in people, right? Because it's a relational idea. There's no faith floating around anywhere, but in your own heart because you're an image bearer and capable of having a relationship with God. That's pretty cool. Lived out trust in Jesus. So we are evidence of the hope of the world. The way that you live your life, being a life of faith, is the very window, it is the very evidence into the future hope of the world, whether people believe it or not, whether people have read the Bible or not, whether they've been to church or not, your ultimate trust of Jesus and the decisions you make Monday morning are the window into the future. And how that happens is you go, no, I'm, I'm, I trust him. No, I trust him. I've solved a who question in my heart. There's nobody I trust more. And then people look at that and they go, that's different because you're hoping for something I didn't even know was possible. Like you're hoping for a solution to this whole problem? Like you actually have hope that this is, this could all change and be better and new if there was a good leader, no less? In our culture, people are going, you actually think there's a leader capable of leading us out of all of this? And then, I mean, at first they're gonna go, no way, right? because that's a preposterous idea. And then you go and become a parable in your life of going, yeah, watch. Yeah, watch. I mean, I'm not saying my life's gonna be full of riches and goodness. It's actually probably, there's probably gonna be a lot of suffering <laughs> and difficulty. But watch me have hope in it. I'm not, you don't, don't say that, that sounds arrogant. But like, you will visibly display the future of either judgment or salvation in its fullest form by the decisions that you make to trust him most every day. A life of faith is the evidence of what we're hoping for. So the question that we asked earlier also was, is hope mean to give? I don't think so. I don't think so. Because Jesus is not dangling a carrot, going, hey, come this way, I'm gonna promise these things, and he leads us by the nose with something that we think we like. The guarantee that we have of the future is the resurrection. That's one, that's one of the best ones. Also scripture, but <laughs> the resurrection is a real good one of going, Jesus, I, I know somebody who 
predicted his own death and then pulled it off and said he was God and I'm going to trust that guy. And it's not mean to give because he substantiated all his claims in the resurrection and we get to give people a hope that is sure. A hope that is sure. Even if it's uncomfortable, it's sure. One more verse, Romans 5, 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And I added by faith because that's the context of Romans 5. Uh, why isn't it mean to give hope? Why isn't, it mean to, why isn't it mean to say, you should trust in Jesus now. You should have hope in a future that's sure even if it causes suffering and even if you're confused about it and even if it costs you all these friends you've developed for your more short-term hopes, here's why it's not mean to give you that is because there's this other promise that even though there's a future and even though there's a, there's a not yet to our hopes and expectations with Jesus, even though there's things that have yet to come, we also have this really amazing promise that through the Holy Spirit that we receive by faith that God's poured out his whole love into us through it that there is a already of our relationship with God that is full of wholeness and completeness and satisfaction. And this is what testimonies is like, I know I'm loved. Like, I, I know I'm loved now. Please don't hear what I'm not saying is everything we hope for is in the future. This is the already not yet of the kingdom that, you know, any good sermon has to live in the tension of the two. There's so much that we're like, please, Lord, come. Like, solve it. Like, do, come, it's the oldest prayers. Come Holy Spirit and come Lord Jesus and like, please, we need you. That's, we all pray that, like we all groan for that. Creation groans for it. And there's this beautiful reality that you and I get to live in right now going, the fullness of love that God has for you has already been poured out into your heart. You don't have to wait for that. So no, it's not mean to give people hope because it's experienced right now through relationship with Jesus. That's why we talk so much about relationship is that's a now thing. And it'll be even better later, I guess. But it's a now thing. So we're gonna take communion today. Those who are serving that, passing that out or whatever, uh, can, can get ready for that. And um, this is gonna be a reminder for us of this last idea that what we're celebrating in communion is that God's love has been poured out fully already for you and I. So we simultaneously hope in the future and we recognize that it's, we participated in it already. And I pray that it would build your faith as we do. So what we're gonna do is we're going to pass those things out as I pray and as we sing a song, I'll invite the worship team up and you can hold on to it and we'll take it together after one song. Let me pray. <clears throat> Lord, I'm so grateful that you have poured out your spirit, that you have made a way for us to be with you and there's nothing that can separate us from you. So Lord, I, uh, I thank you that this meal we're about to share is a foretaste, is a foretaste. I mean, we call it communion for a reason. So Lord, I pray that my friends and I would draw close to you now and receive this, receive your act, receive your atoning sacrifice, receive the work that you did on the cross, receive that 
as oh, just a, a confirmation of what you long to see ultimately happen in us one day. Where we get to be with you, where there's full communion. So Lord, I pray that you would increase our faith. And when I say that, I pray that you would increase our closeness with you. And that as we look into a scary future, we would keep our hands gripped tightly in yours, tighter and tighter and tighter as we see the day approaching, knowing that you are the one who will rescue us, knowing that you are the one who pulls us into our future through your work that we're about to celebrate here today. Thank you, Lord, for the hope that we have in you, for the hope we have in Christ. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't we stand and sing?